Good afternoon and welcome to the Replatform podcast. This is episode 18. We're racking up the numbers now. Uh, this uh, is James and I'm joined as always by my uh, super energetic co-host Paul Rogers. How are you doing Paul? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, are you bunkered down uh, with the coronavirus? Are you isolated? Not yet, although I am in a very small booth, so uh, I am temporarily. But yeah, I'm still uh, in the office at the moment. What about you? Oh, they still let me out loose in London, so until I'm quarantined, I'm going to keep cracking on. Right. Which is all good. Um, So thanks, as always, to everyone who's joined us and listening in. Um, As I said, we've reached episode 18. We're hot off the best week ever of listens. Had over 150 uh, individual listeners uh, last week, which is fantastic. So hopefully we'll get you excited with this week's episode. So we are joined by James and Valta from Nosto. Hi, James and Valta. How are you guys? Very good, thanks. Very good. Thanks for having us. Perfect, thank you. Cool. Thanks for joining us and and taking the time. So I'll do a bit of framing about what we're going to chat about, and then I'll hand over you guys to give a bit more of a flavour for who you are and what Nosto is. Uh, But today's topic is around e-commerce merchandising and personalisation. So a really important part of replatforming projects, looking at where there are existing capabilities in a platform, but they don't actually fit with what the business needs and the business wants to go to that extra level and is looking at... um, capabilities and tools that enable them. And also sits really well in this space. Uh, Paul knows it much better than I do, having worked on uh, many projects um, in integrating with Nosto. So we're going to really pull apart uh, merchandising, personalization, key features for e-commerce teams and where things are going. So on that note, um, it would be great, James, about it, if you guys could uh, introduce who you are, what you do at Nosto, and in your words, what you know, what is Nosto? Where does it sit in the market? Let's do that. Um, so I'll go first. My name is Walter. Uh, I work as a product manager at Nosto. Been with the company now for around four years. Uh, first on the commercial side and now on the product side. Um, what my team basically does at Nosto is um, builds, builds and plans all of the products that have actual products within them. So if you see, for example, a product recommendation on a product page or in an email or on a category page, um, that would be something that my team probably has had their hand in in one way or another. Um, and for me, obviously, working with those kinds of things, that is Nosto for me. And yeah, I'm, I'm on sort of the other side. Um, I head up the UK team at Nosto. I've been here for nearly four and a half years. I think I joined a month or two before Volta. Um, and... Yeah, I think I'm, I've grown up through commercial, started in kind of sales, came from a, a kind of SMB consultancy background. And yeah, I, I, I've been talking about Nosto pretty much every day for the last four and a half years, which is boring for a lot of people, but hopefully interesting for some. Uh, <laughs> and I guess um, if you're looking at Nosto overall, uh, what are we? I think it's, it's evolved and we'll come onto that in, in more detail as we go. But I think we're we're more of like a uh, a sort of I guess you might call it not personalization so much anymore, but more almost like customer experience. We're touching merchandising, we're touching personalization, content delivery, segmentation. Uh, there's a whole bunch of, of of different kind of touch points there across email apps on site as well. So we're, we'll try and unpack as much of that as we can, and some of like our thoughts on the the industry themes as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's Nosto, and hopefully you'll get a bit more insight over the next 45 minutes or so. 
Amazing. So we most definitely won't be boring people. Don't worry. Um, I think a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is, is interesting and personalization is a hot topic. And I think a lot of times people don't fully understand what personalization can achieve. Um, so on that note, are you gents ready to get stuck into some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Amazing. So Paul, I believe, uh, I believe you wanted to kick off on this one. Yeah. So, um, so I'll ask the first question. So I've been working with Nosto for about five years, I think just before you started, James, I first started on my first implementation. And back then it was quite a, it was a much smaller team and essentially it was a solution for product recommendations with, I think just Magento. Um, and then there was a kind of a level of personalization on top of the kind of manual recommendations. Um, how has Nosto gone from being that solution to today, as you say, more of a kind of customer experience suite to a certain extent? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting topic and it's uh, like, I guess, a journey that I've been quite lucky to enjoy, sort of the, the progression of it. Like I said, when I first joined or when I first actually heard about Nosto, I, I, it was on one of my clients' websites and I was like, what the hell is this, this thing? What does it do? I uh, spent like a few days kind of playing around with it, implemented it on about eight other stores just for Rex. And we just started to do like pop-ups. Um, we did some Facebook ads at that time as well. So really like useful for helping um, smaller retailers get to grips with Facebook ads. The business manager was quite challenging at that time. You know, we're talking like five, six years ago now. And so we were really like trying to make things really easy for 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 smaller retailers. I would say like, anyone from sort of half a million uh, to a few million online uh, revenue. And we had some bigger customers uh, at that time, but that was mainly our sweet spot. And like you say, we were really serving like Magento, Shopify, um, those kind of, we actually did serve big commerce back then when it was kind of trying to kick off first time round, but never really got going. And obviously it's now sort of back, back going again. Um, and I think, over the years, we've sort of a lot of our retailers that we started working with then, and we got up to sort of like nearly 20,000, 30,000 accounts back then. Um, they started to grow as well with the e com industry overall. And I think we got, you know, a lot of people saying, Oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Can you add this? Can you add that? And I think that's one of the things that we, I'm personally really proud of, and Walter is probably very proud of because he's actually doing the hard part. is putting together these products for customers. Uh, and I think that's, that's our, our, our main USP, I think, is, is listening to customer feedback and then building the products around the feedback. Um, and, and that's, I think, the key to our longevity and our success and then why we've kind of expanded out into some of these more like customer experience type tools is because that's where our customers have gone. That's what our customers have asked us for. And so that's what we're trying to deliver. Excellent. Uh, question that I've got is around the key things that people are interested in because personalization is it's almost like how long is a piece of string and it can mean different things to different people depending on their experience or the size of business. So where are you seeing the key demands coming in from e-commerce teams? What elements of personalization are driving their, their kind of businesses and the things that they're most interested in, in building capability for? Yeah, I think that's, uh, quite an interesting question because uh, lots of people have different ideas about personalization. Like we've had some people where you get on a, on, you know, we talk to them and they're like, Oh yeah, I want to personalize the products that I'm sending. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, that's, that's not what we do. Obviously we're focused on the personalization of the, of the e-commerce experience for a customer. And that's like, sometimes uh, can be misunderstood, but I think 
um, one of the the things that's still really prevalent is actually like basic personalization. You still speak to quite large retailers. I'm talking like doing hundreds of millions of pounds a year that aren't doing like basic product recommendations. So that's obviously a, a big part of it. But then more and more of our customers, as I alluded to earlier, they're actually interested in, right, how do I build this kind of uh, Amazon-esque experience where I'm able to sell a bigger range of products, which obviously allows for a, a bigger like customer lifetime value. And how do I make sure that I'm engaging with those customers on a more of like a one-to-few basis than a one-to-all basis? And I think, yeah, so I would say product recs and, and what we would call like core functionality is still a major player. But then I would say, uh, you know, testing as well on top of that. So, right, we're doing the this kind of core functionality. How do we know what's actually working well and what's not working well? I think that's a really important place to go. Uh, and then I, I guess segmentation is becoming more prevalent and part of that as well. Uh, I think you've got so many different uh, types of customers, especially on the larger stores, you know, not the D2C brands necessarily. They're just sort of the typical acquisition cycle, like new customer and then move through the, the you know, the middle steps to like low customer or, or lapsed customer. But then you've got big, bigger kind of department store type brands or marketplaces that actually need to be able to sell customer product every single, every single month. And I think those are, where personalization becomes really key and really powerful. I'm, I'm interested about the segmentation point because like segmentation for me, sometimes people use it to target really erroneous groups of people. And other times people have it aligned with their personas and other times people don't even bother with it. So what, where are you seeing where retailers are, are really using segmentation well from a personalization point of view or are they letting your tools make decisions on a one-to-one -one basis so i think segments is a really interesting um point and walter might have a bit more insight from the product side but at least from when we're talking to customers i think one people one thing that people really i think get wrong um is that they focus on trying to improve the performance of a small segment that they want to get bigger and often they're, they're trying to move the needle by 10% on a segment of customers that might be 3% of their total customer base. Whereas actually when you flip it the other way and you say, right, what's the biggest segment and how do we impact that by a few percentage points, whether it be like um, sell through, high, higher margin products, a higher conversion of that customer segment. If you try and move the needle on a bigger segment, you can have a much bigger impact on the, the kind of key e-commerce KPIs like revenue and uh, and all the things that we really care about when we get rid of all the, the vanity metrics. So I think that's that's probably from like a customer point of view. That's the thing that I see people getting wrong and we have to do quite a job to convince people. I think from like the, maybe the product side of Ultima, I have some comments on like how best to go about that uh, from a strategic point of view. But Yeah, so kind of building a little bit on what <clears throat> you said, James, as well. I think the kind of figuring out the correct audience is one part of it. Um, one key thing, which I think retailers even today in 2020 kind of get wrong is not looking at the entire funnel. So from acquisition all the way to, you know, discovery all the way to conversion and then kind of the aftershock of that as well. So I remember when we started building segmentation, one of our, let's say, key focus points was obviously that you need to be able to create segments based on, on kind of different interests or, or different um, purchase histories or even geographical location. 
but to really tie it together, you kind of need to see these segments and these audiences to third-party tools such as Facebook or you know your email service providers, and then you need to also leverage them on site. Um, so that that was kind of a key one of the key goals when we built segmentation. I, I do think we did a you know you can always do things better, but I think we did a relatively good job there. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, so I'll go next. So I remember when you started building segments into the core product, it was around the same time you started offering content personalization. And that um, for some of our clients, and I know for you generally has been a pretty big area for you. Um, do you want to kind of introduce us to that part of the product and then how it works and then also how it works with different segments and kind of some of the advanced use cases for that? Yeah, so uh, I think it was like maybe 18 months, two years ago now, Volta, we launched it. Um, and I, I would say one of the uh, most interesting things is like that we didn't really foresee the scope, uh, the, the, the scope of, um, I guess, what customers didn't know they wanted to do. So like when you say, cool, these are some content personalized ideas. Do you have any kind of idea how you want to make this suitable for your own business or like flex this for your own kind of e-commerce goals or challenges? And a lot of people are kind of like at a bit of a loss for that. And we, so a lot of the time we spend is actually like, look, here are some frameworks that have been really successful with our current customers. And then here are um, like, how can we mold this to fit your business? And I think when we think about content, uh, some people think about just banners or just like small things, but actually it can be anything from like changing the menu layout for a particular customer. It can be, you know, some of the advanced use cases like you talked about, it can be like, uh, you, you know, the paid, um, paid spend is a massive part of e-commerce and actually paid traffic is a lot more valuable. valuable. How do you make the most of that? So do you show, uh, like a Nostro landing page recommendation to a particular subset of customers that come through, you know, Facebook, Google, Bing, for example. Uh, but when they're not coming from that, we, sh we show them something completely different. So there's lots of different uh, kind of use cases. And I think it's definitely growing in popularity. But the, the biggest thing I would say is that teams underestimate that they really need to actually sit and have a workshop and think about it. Whereas a lot of our other products, you can like just press the go button and like it'll kind of do its thing where segmentation requires requires thought um, and a bit of consideration content requires even more thought and actually content is still quite a manual process like even if you can automate it across 50 different segments on who gets shown what you still have to build the content and I think that's where uh, like the the paid example that I use is a really good one because it's an evergreen piece of con like dynamic content showing different product racks to different segments of customers or uh, different menu items to different types of customers who have a discount affinity versus those who don't. So yeah, I think there's definitely some kind of nuances to to it, but um, yeah, it, it definitely suits more of a mid-sized team. I would say for for a lot of those reasons that I just just mentioned. Yeah, I think like I was also part of uh, one of the first implementations of content personalization on top of segmentation from our side. And obviously you go in with a new product, you're, you know, cocky and arrogant and you want to do it all. Um, and on the first uh, couple of implementations, we did do a 
let's say, spectacular job of changing the entire homepage based on two different segments, right? And it worked. The results were pretty good, um, and it technically worked. However, the, the problem became kind of the longevity of that content, because then when you had to switch out one banner here, one banner there, one marketing promise here, all of a sudden it became quite a bit of work, uh, which led to our let's say, first, first pilot to, to kind of reassess if they wanted to go for that product in the first place. Um, I think nowadays our team has done a, a spectacular job in kind of advocating the team size and the commitment to actually generating the content, uh, as James mentioned. So nowadays, what we kind of start with is something simple, such as, you know, for your first-time visitors, give them a shout-out for, you know, free shipping or, you know, a free discount code or something, which you don't do for your loyal customers, which is a very small example, but the longevity, as James already said, is, is quite different than changing an entire, you know, core page. Absolutely. I think um, one of my favorite things about Nosto is how simple and clean the UI is. Um, I think it's much easier to use than a lot of the other kind of personalization providers out there, both on the content side and the product side. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that, like I said, that, I think that's one of our one of our like biggest things that I think every product we try and build is needs to needs to always speak to that point. As soon as you get away from that. There's so many tools and products and things on the market where if you can, what we're trying to do, I guess, is consolidate a lot of these tools into one great, great platform. But you can't do that unless it's easy. Otherwise, you might as well go back to the, the one thing doing this, the one thing doing that. So, yeah, trying to keep that is obviously a constant challenge and, and something that we're always striving to improve as well. I've got there's something I'd really like to uh, to uh, ask you guys around content knit. So you're talking about content personalization, and I, I, quite a few of my my clients are talking more and more about how they they improve the quality and targeting of content. The one bit that always comes up for e-commerce teams, and very few people find simple ways of solving this, is is the content knit. So you're you're in a content journey. You might be in an editorial section of website, but actually that editorial lands itself neatly to having product recommendations seeded alongside it so how how from a function point of view how does a personalization can't even say the word personalization engine enable you to smartly insert the right products without having to manually do it every single time you create a new page yeah, or can it do that well so you want to go do you want me to go <laughs> you go ahead you go ahead yeah so um with it depends a bit on the platform so if you're looking at, let's say, Magento and Shopify, I think Shopify now as well does the same. But like Magento too, you can you can actually host your blog as part of like a, you know a Magento theme. So it's not like you don't have like the commerce part on Magento and then like the WordPress part is the blog. Now you can mold the two together. How good it is, I don't know. Um, I'm not. It's not my area of expertise. And then with Shopify, I think you can do the same. Um, but whatever way you're doing it, essentially a blog needs to look and feel like a product to a personalization engine. It needs to have attributes, categories, tags, that kind of thing. And then once it once it's kind of um, looking like a product in terms of a personalization engine, essentially what you can do is cross-sell against that, that blog's attributes. So a great example of that might be a homeware blog, right? Where they're talking about um, how to how to build a room around your sofa. 
and they're talking about a bunch of sofas. So we know then we can cross sell, uh, or sorry, upsell or cross sell other sofas, cushions, rugs, curtains, uh, you know, like side tables, uh, you know, like footstools, like insert any product here that cross sells well with a, uh, with a sofa based on customer data from the normal buying behavior on like typical product pages, PLPs, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Kind of yeah, yeah, I think so. Essentially what you're coming from is in the same way that the, the product catalog needs a decent taxonomy and attribute. Exactly. You need to think about taxonomy of content because a tool like Nosto, for example, wouldn't be able to do that personalized targeting of product into content journeys if it doesn't know the tags and how to associate them with products. Exactly right. And I, and I mean, there, there, you know, there's probably some really smart ways of doing it where you, you know, where you scrape the entire content of the, of the blog piece or the content piece. Um, obviously that's not something we're doing. And whereas the, the, the quick and easy way to do it is match some of the, like you say, taxonomy that's already present on PDPs and all the other sort of e-commerce temp page templates and map that across to a blog template. And then, yeah, it's from there, it's extremely straightforward, but that can be a bit of a time, like a time uh, F time or dev effort normally, normally a few days maximum, but with mo most blog kind of, uh, or content systems, you know, if you go to like Drupal or, uh, or even WooCommerce, it's not, not that difficult to add those tags. It's just pointing Nosto in the right place to read them. Yeah. I, I think that's really good takeout for people is when they're planning replatforming a lot, a lot of the time, people don't think about the, the tagging and attribute management around content. They think about it to detail in product, but not the other way around. And then you get the mismatch where you can't actually do that level of cross cross population. So yeah, it's, I, I think that's a sensible way of framing it. Thank you. Yeah. I think with luxury fashion and like homeware, it should be one of the first things you think about, like, especially if you're doing homeware, I've just moved house and the whole time I've spent looking at freaking Pinterest and then clicking on these articles. And it takes me to like how I should design my freaking living room and then here I've got like 50, you know, I read the whole thing and I'm super excited. Then I have to go back and find all the products in the actual PLP or go through the product pages or categories when I could just like tab, 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 like three product racks and be there. That makes sense. Um, I have another question. So more and more e-commerce platforms are building kind of different levels of personalization into their native feature sets. So Magento, Salesforce, Shopify, Work Area being examples of these. Um, where do you see kind of the gaps, I guess, and how do you see your products? So if you particularly something like Magento and Salesforce, um, how do you see kind of your offering differing from those and adding kind of a different value proposition? So I think this is a really interesting question, which ties quite closely together with um, what James was talking about, moving from the SMB recommendation space upwards towards, you know, being something something more of a you know commerce experience platform, which we've now <laughs> slowly but surely rebranding ourselves into. So we do have new rebranding, which will be launched in the next upcoming weeks. Um, since let's say when the company was founded in, in 2018 and product recommendations launched in 2013, I think the assumption back then was that automating everything is the way to go. And um, the, the kind of the mission for the company back then was to make it easy for retailers, any retailers um, to get started with basic personalization, right? 
Um, and that, that still held true back in 2013. But then once the customer base grows and you get larger, larger customers, um, one trend that we kind of see every single year is people asking for more and more control, um, which is interesting because the whole concept of personalization is automation, right? It's, it's the conceptual level of personalization is just looking at one-to-one actions and then working behind the scenes to figure out what to do next. However, going more, let's say, mid-market or larger you know, market size, um, we're actually encountering a lot of our, our retailers who have pretty wide teams who actually work with, uh, with personalization and in, in kind of more specifically with merchandising. And um, we've kind of built out quite a lot of merchandising features across the years. However, in 2019, 2020, we've actually made a bit of a conscious decision to move more towards merchandising. Um, because the, the larger team you have, the more flexibility you require and the more you actually want to merchandise. Um, personalization is a, is a great tool if you just want to, let's say, increase relevance and focus on, on average visit value. However, if you, know, you are your ASOS or your Zalandos of the world, there's multiple other, let's say, considerations such as you know, stock turnaround time. What about the supply chain? What about profitability? It becomes a very, very, let's say, complex discussion at that point. And I think that's, that's kind of where we slowly but surely are building our differentiation uh, in, ter- in terms of, let's say, companies like Magento, Salesforce, Shopify. I mean, back in 2013, there was not many recommendation engines out, out, out in the world. Um, but now in 2020, it's it's a bit of a commoditized market. I mean, anyone who can code, you know, more than 10 lines of code can probably build a basic recommender system that spits out bestsellers. Um, so I think on the flexibility part, the merchandising part, making it easy for teams to succeed towards, let's say, any given business goal uh, and building, let's say, automation on top of that reporting, uh, A-B testing, as we've already built. I, I think that's, you know, the direction that we're taking for differentiation here as well. That makes sense. Um, another question on top of that. So I know there's a lot of technology partners that have really strengthened their product in areas like this um, by integrating with other technology partners within the ecosystem. So Clavio are a really good example of this on the email side. Um, I know you've done bits of this in the past. Is this something you plan to do more of? So kind of integrating with maybe search part, uh, search technology partners, um, different email platforms, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a conscious effort. Uh, when building out segmentation, obviously, we opened up quite, quite a lot of new avenues for, for integration possibilities. Uh, and we do have uh, email service providers who partner up with us to kind of sync those segments. Um, so we can kind of ensure um, a seamless journey from off-site to on-site, as I mentioned earlier. Um, we also do have, let's say, some pilots going on with, with search vendors as well. And kind of looking at the whole merchandising side, I mean, there's a million ways that we can go um, when we're talking about merchandising and product performance. Um, so that, that's going to be an interesting route to see where we land in 2020 and 2021 as well. And I think back on the, the the point about the kind of platforms and what their native feature sets are, I think 
obviously Magento and, and Shopify are quite far behind in terms of like their native stuff. I know Magento is now putting some parts from the Adobe uh, platform into, or the Adobe kind of experience platform into Magento. That's taken quite a while and is a, a slow process. Uh, obviously Salesforce has done quite well in like blocking together lots of different technologies that they've purchased over the years. But again, it's never quite as seamless as it as it probably is, is sounding or, or is sold to. And that's why they, the, you know, that's why all these platforms let partners like us in, in the ecosystem, because ultimately we're specializing in that that thing or those different product areas. And, and they're ultimately trying to build a platform, which in itself is a, is a massive undertaking. Um, and I think, you know, where Salesforce caters for the big enterprise businesses, like if you want to buy marketing cloud, you need to be a chunky business and that's the formula one car you've got to run. You need the pit crew, you need the tires, you need the fuel. When you jump in Nosto, you've got like the Lamborghini, you just hop in, turn the keys, bomb it out the driveway and then park it up for a week and, and then get back in it the next week. Like it's, that's probably a, a kind of fair comparison with some of these like big market tools. Then you've also got, like Walter said, that the couple of people in their, in their um, basement with 10 lines of code that can spit out some recommendations for, for your basic Shopify store. And I think we're, we're trying to solve this middle market area. And I think that's, that's our big differentiation is we're not trying to solve the big stuff. We're not trying to solve the small stuff. We're, we're sat kind of nicely in the middle and, and working with those partners that you mentioned, Paul, like similar partners who are solving the same issues in a different product area and then trying to bring as much of it together as possible. I'd like to, um, to talk to you about a, a, a specific kind of e-commerce issue that, that's being faced by several uh, businesses when they're trying to nail down personalization across the, the user journey on an e-commerce site. And that's um, like category list page personalization where you have a grid of products. You want to be able to dynamically change them based on the user profile so that you can improve your merchandising quality. But it can then sometimes conflict with things like cash-in uh, or it can have performance issues where you know the the page flickers or slows down and it impacts on mobile etc so it's never so straightforward as just chuck something in and, and put it live how how do you work to, to help people do the list page personalization so that they've got the merchandising controls but also it's not having a, a, a really negative performance impact on the site yeah so that's uh, actually a product area that we're about to let's say um, launch a little bit more publicly in the next upcoming weeks as well to coincide with the, with the rebranding I already mentioned. Um, so we, we have spent some time in building a, a suite uh, for, for category merchandising. Um, there's a lot of interesting, let's say, problems within this space because, um, let's say, as you mentioned, there are a lot of performance considerations and most of the time tools that are out on the market do this fully across um, JavaScript, um, which is in, in many, many shapes and forms and can be very clunky and very time consuming as well. Um, currently, we've built out our, our kind of support for, for category merchandising, both on Magento 2 and on Shopify, uh, whereas we've also built like a separate separate API on top of GraphQL uh, to serve it for every other platform as well. Um, one of our key cornerstones here was that um, we already have quite a lot of capabilities within the, the suite. 
um, which can be seen as um, well, maybe maybe not unique, but close to unique uh, when compared to to most of the let's say products that are out there, um, where that's a combination of of using product attributes such as brand price um, or or other textual attributes such as material or color can be used in conjunction with product performance metrics such as conversion rate or revenue per view or um, margin and, and things like this uh, and kind of top it all off with with both segmentation and a b testing um, we kind of built it on top of magento 2 and shopify in a way where everything works completely behind the scenes so you on shopify you install our app which does everything for you uh, even category merchandising um, on magento 2 again you would need to just install a, a mini plugin that controls the category um, category sorting methods as well um, everything else happens completely on on our end and is just let's say shot out to the platforms uh, so we've been able to keep the performance on a pretty pretty decent level to be honest um, I don't know. Did that answer your question, or did I start rambling? No, it, it, I guess it does. I guess it's the, the there's there's a couple of isn't it? the technology bit and and how it's being delivered. And I, I guess where I've looked at in the past, it's it's looking at things that are integrated at server side, and that mm. often seems to be one of the the uh, the advantages that, that platforms can have if they've got native capability. But where you're integrating a third party tool, what those options are. Um, do you when your integrations? It, is it Typically, do you do server-side integration, sorry, or you, is it more um, the client side? So on, on Nosto in general, um, on, on let's say most of the platforms that are out there, your Magentos, your Salesforce, your Shopify's, uh, we actually have an app or a plugin which is installed uh, that then collects server-side all of the metadata that we require uh, yeah. and then injects uh, a bit of a script on on the front end to track users as well. Yeah. Um, when it comes to showing something like product recommendations, you can either uh, you can decide a little bit how you want to implement that. Usually, it's on the client side since it's quite lightweight with usually four or eight products with quite small images. It doesn't. It's not technically that heavy. Um, when it comes to category merchandising, it it's a bit of a different story because you might need to load. 100 items, 200 items, um, 200 pictures. Um, you'll need to use filtering on the page. Uh, that needs to be rapid. Uh, so that, that's not a client-side uh, implementation at all. That's usually a server-side implementation, um, which on Magento 2 and Shopify and select platforms in the future, um, we've obviously automated that work. Uh, so you don't need to kind of configure that uh, from the start yourself. Yeah, that, that, I think that's that's yeah that answers it really nicely because it it differentiates between where something's simple and light and won't have a big performance impact versus where it's more complex and therefore you do the server side. So yeah, thank you. That does answer it well. One Nosto feature that I never seem to hear people talk about, or certainly not as much as some of the other features you've um, released over the last six months, is personalised bundling. And uh, I see this as really valuable. Um, I think it's a bit of a gap. Like it's quite an underutilized area. Um, can you just talk us through how this works and exactly what it does? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think our premise was um, to create a tool that would 
kind of keep um, the kind of baseline workflow of adding multiple items into kind of one collection. So if you want to merchandise um, this mattress with these sheets and this pillow, uh, being very explicit about it, um, that needs to be supported. So we built, let's say, a quite lightweight user interface where uh, where a user can quite easily go in and just select three items, see a visual preview, and you're done with it. Um, whenever a user lands on any of these three products, the other products would show up in a grid as well. Um, we did take it a, a step further. Uh, so we added category support there as well, uh, which basically means that I can configure a bundle by just saying, you know, pillows, mattresses, and um, pillows, mattresses, and what was my third, third example? Bedding, uh, for example, or sheets. So you can add just three categories. And what we do on our end, uh, whenever a user lands on any pillow, we actually check um, all of those three categories and come up with the most relevant result from that category. So that is um, a more of an, let's say, automated way where you give a framework uh, which within we want to work. Uh, and then you kind of let Nostra decide which is the actual product. Um, so that has been working quite well, actually. Um, I think in the UK, we have a brilliant example on Atkin and Fime, for example. Um, I think we have a case study online where using dynamic bundles as well uh, increased average order value by six and a half percent, I think. Um, I don't have that here with me right now, but I, I do remember it's six and a half percent. Uh, so in, in that example, they did set up, uh, let's say, uh, something like, you know, kitchen table, kitchen chairs, and uh, something else. And we did all of the work behind the scenes automatically. And it's visually very appealing. You can go check it out on, on Atkin and Fime. I think it should be below the, the main image on any, any product page, to be honest. Or James, you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's how I remember it. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that we've seen as well, like again, from maybe more of the client side, as Paul was alluding to, is that you talk to a client and it's a bit like when you talk to them about merchandising a, a category page, like how long are you spending on it? Loads of time. How easy is it? Difficult. Do you find it? You could be doing other stuff. Yes. So like, it's actually not just even about the KPIs. It's it's kind of about just the time saving. And, um, you know, as, as Paul mentioned, like, Everyone wants shop to look in some kind of way. Obviously, we all think about it in fashion, like outfit builders and things like that. And sometimes you want really specific looks. Uh, so you want to create like a lookbook look, which you need to do manually. But then the other 10,000 products on the site, you know, you just need a shirt, a pair of jeans or a pair of trousers, some accessories, uh, and that's your look. Like you, And it's based on the customer. It's based on their color preferences, what's in stock, what's uh, got the highest margin, certain brands like all those kind of merchandising rules that we've been talking about they're all you can build them all in then suddenly with one setup you've got uh, on on all your clothing categories you've got uh, you know a shop to look automatically made uh, one retailer we were talking to had five they, ne they do nearly a billion pounds to be fair but they had five people just doing that all day every day that was like their job Imagine all the other cool stuff they could have been doing, like probably more business critical stuff. And a lot of those pages got really low traffic. So we said like, okay, take the 10,000 lowest traffic PDPs and let's do it on that. 
And so like those kind of things that you maybe don't think about or you think I need it to be manual, do you really need it all to be manual or is it just like lookbook content or, or specific content? Yeah, I think that's a, a nice point about automating things as possible so, so the skills in the business can focus on value add rather than repetitive tasks that send people to sleep. Yeah. And that comment leads me on actually to to the the uh, the next question I had, which is around testing. You've mentioned it a few times um, during this episode. What I'm keen to understand is, from your experience of working across multiple clients, um, what are the most important A/B testing features that that are being used? How how are people making use of testing capabilities around merchandising and personalization areas of the site? So one of the goals with the whole A/B testing product was obviously to let's say alleviate all of the all of the tedious work of setting up again some sort of javascript thing that modifies you know your elements on the fly um, so we built it into the platform uh, and kind of hooked it up to to any of our our products um, which basically means that if you want to test a a nostra recommendation against another recommendation let's say if you want to find out if bestsellers or browsing history on the front page makes more sense. Um, that's kind of three clicks away um, for, from, from your fingertips. Um, on top of this, you can test kind of whatever changes between these two uh, recommendation campaigns. So the underlying logic or merchandising rules such as favoring margin over, you know, same category over brands. Um, that's, that's one way to go. Another way to go is to test templating changes. Um, when we go into content, um, the variety becomes even larger. You wanna test different fonts within your content um, that, that, that you try out for a certain segment, or do you just wanna test your original banner against you know, something that has a dynamic product within it? It, it can be whatever. Um, the simple campaign testing is, is very powerful and something that most of our retailers can access since it doesn't require that much traffic uh, since you're essentially kind of toggling between two different campaigns. Um, we did build out the tool quite a lot more to also support experience testing and multivariate testing. So experience testing is the concept of, let's say, grouping, grouping certain uh, campaigns together with each other. And, and testing kind of groups against each other, whereas multivariate just basically means choose these five locations throughout the site. Here is 40 different product recommendation campaigns and 40 different content pieces. Just test everything together and see what sticks. Um, multivariate testing is, is, let's say, the holy grail of testing, but the fact is that it also requires quite a lot of traffic, um, which is a shame in most cases. Um, but going through, let's say, campaign testing first, figuring out um, on, on the first hand which of your campaigns your audience is responding best towards, uh, and then kind of doing more kind of wide changes. Um, so it's what, one other way to go. Um, with the A-B testing, we've also kind of built it out now for, for category merchandising. So completely server-side, uh, you'll be able to kind of test different merchandising configurations. So if I want to test out favor conversion rate versus favor a certain brand versus favoring margin, um, that would kind of just influence the result set that comes through Nosto. So you don't, again, need to set anything up um, on, on, on the front end side. So that's 
um, something that I personally am very excited about because server-side A-B testing is something that doesn't come up that often. That makes sense. Um, another one I've seen uh, Nostia talk a little bit about recently online is multi-channel personalization. Can you um, talk to us a little bit about how Nostia kind of works from a multi-channel perspective and give us some examples? Sure. Um, and James, also feel free to just jump in. I feel I'm, like I'm hogging the mic here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so we did, we did also build out support for, let's say, um, offline retail locations and um, mobile applications and progressive web applications uh, a little over a year ago, um, which has been pretty interesting because there are a lot of companies out there who have both multiple offline store locations, and then they have a, a busy online website, which you use Nosto on. Um, we do have a lot of information about all of these clients online, um, but offline we have no idea what's going on. Um, so we've extended our platform a little bit to kind of accept offline order data. Um, which means that if your your store down in downtown London um, ha, kind of has the capability to send us uh, the transactional data, we'll be able to factor that in into our kind of machine learning layer. Um, if you have a customer identification ident identifier, sorry, customer identifier which is shared both online and offline. For example, a loyalty program if you're using your let's say your loyalty alliance or, or other similar kinds of solutions. Um, you can carry that from offline to online and vice versa, meaning you can build, let's say, whatever through using Nosto in an offline environment as well. Uh, so if you consider a scenario where I go down to a offline location and I you know, go look at a pair of pants and I come back online and I buy them, that is that is something that we'll never be able to track because we have no idea who viewed the pants offline. Uh, so that, that user journey is completely lost forever. However, if you do it the other way around and you come back to the site, you come to the site and you view a pair of pants and um, you're identified by using our, let's say, automated um, script, we can then see that, hey, you know, Paul Rogers came onto the site and he viewed a pair of blue jeans um, and then Paul, if you go down to the offline location and you actually buy them uh, or buy another pair of pants uh, in the offline location, we can track all of that, um, which obviously means that there are multiple different touch points throughout the multi-channel customer journey, which again, we can influence. Um, I think one of the more exciting ideas, which uh, again was, let's say maybe a little bit too ambitious, uh, was building some sort of like smart, fitting booth thingy um, offline where you would have a, let's say a tablet integrated into the wall where you would swipe your loyalty card and get kind of personalized recommendations within your fitting booth while you're trying on your, um, your pants or your sort of kind of shoes or whatever. And you could even kind of um, integrate that with the items that you took with you to that uh, fitting booth. So if you would scan those items, we could treat that as a shopping cart and recommend you, you know, socks that match those shoes, for example. So it's very exciting um, and something that we, let's say, built support for. 
However, the, the sad reality of the world is that most, most retailers aren't ready for that kind of data exchange today. So it does require uh, a unified source of truth for you know, an, an identified customer. And that is a bit surprising that still in 2020, um, it's, we're talking about a couple of percentages, a couple of tens of percentages of um, customers who actually have that. Yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest problem is like you talk to a retailer and they're super ambitious about, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? And then, you know, you get three months down the line um, and you've, you've talked about a lot of these things with them initially. And then you go to sort of prompt and say, well, right, let's, let's get the app integrated or let's do the point of sale integration. It's like, oh yeah, actually, we're not going to worry about that. We're just going to focus on like the, 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 you know, the core stuff, like the onsite stuff. And I think that the level the sort of like you, their eyes are a bit bit too big for their stomach in a lot of cases and that they're, they're kind of over having a like over ambitious view on what's what's possible in what time and i think realistically when you look at the global e-commerce market you guys know as well you've been you've been in it for a long time is that if there's only very few brands you know you look at sephora maybe as one that does it really well where they have like the tablets in the stores they've got the app They've got the um, they've got the the site as well. I think there's very few of those examples. I mean, I've not been into the Amazon stores. I'd imagine they're pretty good. I don't know. Have any of you guys been into one of them yet? Paul, have you been to US recently? I've not. I've not seen that one. I know um, Reformation are doing a few bits, but again, I've never. Uh, I've never actually seen it. I've just kind of read about it. Yeah, and I think you know who's actually really freaking good at this is in um, in in the APAC market in Australia, the, uh, they're called the accent group. They own like athletes for uh, platypus and another one. You should read like about them. They do, they actually do this amazingly well. Um, and they like ship from store, like the stores of their warehouses I've used. And they've been doing this for like quite a long time. And I feel like they're way ahead of the curve. The, the e-com director is called Mark Tepson and he's got like quite a good blog and stuff. It's definitely worth a look. Um, but yeah, I think, the most, I would say maybe the the thing that we're leaning towards most is like PWA and headless is becoming then a bit of a trend that's actually taking off. Like people are talking about it and actually a few people are doing it, which is a start. Uh, we've seen a few more apps recently. There's a cool little company called Ven Apps, which has already got two of our customers up and running with native apps. We've got pot commerce customers, uh, obviously some tap cart customers as well. So I'd say like apps is probably more of a omni-channel thing. Uh, we've got one customer in the Nordics that's got like a C2, like pause integration, which is quite cool. Um, but yeah, no one's really joined up all these steps. And I think like, just be realistic with your business, like how possible is that thing? And what's the value add that it's gonna offer on top of probably like the 55 easier things you could do first that are gonna have more incremental. Makes sense. Um, so last question from me, a uh, bit of a different one. So, so this is aimed at each of you. So what is your favorite Nasto implementation and why? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I've got a few. Um, my favorite recent one is the new skinny dip website by Wemote websites. That's got some beautiful Nasto templates in it. Uh, they did an amazing job. Uh, we didn't help them. <laughs> Um, but they are using Nostra recommendations. I think they're just, yeah, the site overall is really nice. They're going to be using category merchandising, which they're implementing right now. 
they've got product recs, they've got content, they're doing testing. They're just using the product really well. And the site is gorgeous, speaks to its audience really well. Yeah, I think it's just a really nice website and it's just a nice one to be part of. And hopefully you won't notice there's any Nosto, which is the best kind of Nosto, uh, but it's all there in the background. Um, my second one uh, is maybe Skin City. Um, they're, they used to be called Effala Skin. They got bought by Skin City, which is a big Swedish company. And uh, we're not live with the Swedish entity yet, but we're live in the UK. They pioneered the Google Shopping uh, recommendations, like different content when you come in, when you come from shopping, and they kind of taught taught it to us. And then we've obviously been trying to sell it to everyone. Uh, so thanks to them for that. Uh, they've got great recommendations set up. They use subtle content pieces, like in the top nav. They've got like free delivery, five star rated when you're a new customer. And then they swap that out for loyalty points and other things in the in just in the nav uh, when you when you're not. Um, if you're looking at Dermalogica, Medicaid, and a few other brands, they put like um, Medicaid authenticate uh, authorized dealer or Dermalogica authorized dealer in the little header. So they like speak directly to your preferences in really subtle ways, not like just like Walter was saying, I kind of the CEO pleasing like full page of content that actually no one really cares about. It's those subtle little things and they do that really well. So those are my probably two and uh, I don't know what if Walter's got any. Well, I, to be honest, I did have skinny dip as well since <laughs> I've, I've been on their site so many times in the last couple of weeks. Um, as uh, James mentioned, they are looking to kind of implement category merchandising, which is obviously something that I've been heavily interested in. Um, Another one, if I have to drop another one, I'd say maybe Unif Clothing uh, is one. Um, just because of the, let's say, the site having like this unique layout, like this in-your-face branding in general. And they really took that to the Nostra recommendations as well. So when you, when you go on the site, you can see a bunch of tiles with items and a bunch of, of tiles for, you know, shop your Instagram feed. And, you know, you have different looks in, in, in these tiles that just move when you hover over them. And then you don't even realize it, but, you know, you just keep going through the tiles and you don't even realize that one of the tiles, for example, on the front page is actually Nosto, um, which for all customers shows you bestsellers, but for returning customers, they show you, um, things that you should be interested in. So it kind of changes dynamically as you go, whereas the template still, you know, holds true to the kind of in-your-face branding of Unif. So I think, I think that's maybe one of my favorites. I, I use that all the time as an example. That's a great one. Finish Stairs is also a really nice one as well. There's a lot, there's a lot out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, lo I like Skinny Dip. I, lo I love... Uh, this is obviously off a tangent, but I love some of the design elements they've got around their header navigation um, and how to switch from desktop to mobile, some, some smart UX decisions there. Um, but that's a discussion for another day. So that brings us in that we've gone through all of the questions we wanted to cover, um, James and Walter. So thank you very much indeed for sharing the insights. Um, thanks for having us. For saving time. I guess for, from a wrap-up point of view for our listeners, thanks for listening as always. Uh, if there, anyone's got any questions for you guys about personalization in general Nosto specifically what's the best way for them to get in touch um i think yeah if, if you're feel free if you're listening to this and you're interested either as a partner merchant or just want to chit chat about personalization 
Um, I'm just James at Nostra.com. Uh, I think, what do you, Walter? You just Walter at Nostra.com? Yeah, yeah, Walter at Nostra.com works. Yeah, so just get in touch with us. Uh, we'll be ha- I'm happy to, to, to talk about personalization or e-commerce in general. And I think if anyone's got any specific questions, we can direct you to the, the right authority. Brilliant. Uh, appreciate that. So um, feel free to reach out to James and Walter. Um, so thanks uh, from me and Paul, as always, for listening in. And Paul, any parting comments before we say goodbye to everyone? don't think so. Um, just thanks for coming on, James and Walter. Um, yeah, really good uh, episode. I think lots of interesting stuff discussed. Um, yeah, great. Excellent. Have a good afternoon and evening, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for having us. Bye.